This is the Dynasty Strategy Hub Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro. Here's my co-host, Dave Sanders. Our goal in this podcast is to focus on the strategy aspects of Dynasty football. We want to provide a great resource of easy-to-digest pods with some great people from the fantasy industry. Dave, why don't you introduce our guest this week? This week, we're thrilled to welcome on Leo Pasiga. You probably know Leo as the Dynasty Notebook guy. You can find him on Twitter at Siga underscore FF, and he's a DLF writer as well. Leo, thanks for joining us. I'm really happy to be here, guys. I'm looking forward to uh, talking some Dynasty strategy tonight. I read that you've been playing Dynasty for about 25 years. Are you surprised with how popular Dynasty's gotten, say, over the last couple of years compared to where it was you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, well, it wasn't Dynasty for 25 years. I've been playing fantasy football for about 25 years. I started with Redraft, um, and then Dynasty I probably got involved with about 15 years ago. It is crazy how how popular it's become, but all facets of fantasy football are crazy popular, right? I mean, best balls taken off and dailies taken off, and and it's it's just amazing how many people are involved in this and what a you know nationwide phenomenon it is for for everybody come September, you know, to jump in and and just go crazy. But as far as dynasty goes, you know, we've had some great ambassadors from Scott Fish to Ryan McDowell, and and there's been a lot of guys, Evan Silva, Sigmund Bloom. You know, and it's just such a neat format because one drawback to redraft and even daily is, you know, you're constantly changing your roster on a regular basis. And Dynasty gives you that opportunity to build from scratch, make it your own and really put your stamp and your identity on your roster from top to bottom. Yeah, that's a great overview. And you're right. Those guys have been terrific advocates for the group. There's so much information available these days. Drew and I were talking about, you know, podcasts are also becoming a big part of this. If you had to pick one of those factors, do you think it's been, you know, podcast, the information that's available on Twitter, anything in specific you'd point to that's really led to this growth? Well, I, I think just the format of being able to manage your leagues online has been a huge help. I mean, my fantasy league and Yahoo Sports and ESPN, when I started, everything was USA Today and it was a pencil and pen and it was, you know, hand scratching out stats and emailing them to people. And there was a lot of labor involved and, and trades were over the phone or, you, you know, hooking up at a bar and talking for a while and, you know, sharing a couple of drinks and trying to make a deal. There wasn't there wasn't, you know, this. Um, connectivity that we now share with and especially with these websites like my fantasy league I mean it's so easy to make trades and manage your team and and it's so user friendly that I think as much as social media and and just outlets for information have been they've been a huge key to make smarter players to make more talented or more skillful players because there's more knowledge available just the ease of of just the modern era has has just made it better for fantasy football because now everything's just so user friendly. With this podcast being focused on strategy, I'd like to dive into the notebooks you keep on the tendencies of your league mates. We have a ton of questions, but let's start with this. Where did the idea come from to observe and scout your league mates? Well, it started way back in the beginning, you know, redraft in person, and there were just certain tendencies that always presented themselves, you know, for the first couple of years, we had, um, we had one person that would always draft a quarterback in the first round, regardless, like it didn't matter. Whoever was the top scoring quarterback from the year before, that would be whoever his number one pick would be. And so those certain tendencies really just started to really show themselves. And, and so I started keeping a notebook with redraft, but it really didn't start to pay dividends because I knew those guys so well anyway, because it was an in-person live draft where it really started to show dividends 
Legends was as as I got into Dynasty and started playing in an online environment with people that were across the country and I couldn't see face to face. It just became easier to kind of get to know those people because I was scratching out just things that were fairly repetitive and the tendencies that seem to show themselves over and over again. And and where it really pays the dividends for me, there's, there's two areas. It, it helps me with trade negotiations because it lets me know um, how things have gone in the past because I can refer back to that. And then the other area where it's huge is in drafting um, rookie drafts with dynasty because it, people tend to draft where they're comfortable. They tend to draft positions that they're more comfortable evaluating. Very rarely do you run across an owner that just automatically always picks best available player. Um, there's usually something that that shows itself and that you're able to track and take advantage of when you're drafting, whether it's somebody who always likes to trade back during a rookie draft or always likes to trade out of picks and get veterans. Or Once you start to see those patterns develop, then it becomes advantageous to be able to refer back to that on a regular basis basis you covered a ton right there now how time consuming is the process for you i I would assume now that you've been doing it for quite a bit that you've kind of got a streamlined process but you know i'm I'm a guy it's in probably oh god nine leagues i I hate to admit that probably that many at this point um but would you recommend say starting with one or would you kind of say pick the pick the league like best or try to get a little bit information about everybody yeah, so that is that is the one thing that I always recommend if you've never done this before, because you need to find out whether the benefit is worth the investment. You know, is the juice worth the squeeze if you're, if you're going to invest the time? So pick one, pick your favorite league, the one you enjoy the most and start with that one and then and, and, and start small. Just start recording trade negotiations and start um, recording draft picks. You know, my fantasy league, like we talked about the friendliness of the of the user interactiveness of the site, you can go back and you can look at previous drafts. It's, you didn't start it till, you know, this year, you can still go back and look three years back and see what, you know, those owners in that league did as far as drafts or as far as trades that went down. So you can go back and gain some information. Um, my process now is pretty streamlined. I basically just notate really stuff that I, I've deemed worthy over time. Like I've learned how to eliminate some of the repetitive nonsense that I really don't need to worry about. Um, I scratch everything out in a notebook because I like the old fashioned writing. I know some folks have, you know, worked on on making a more streamlined online version. Um, I think Addison Hayes did something where um, he put together like a um, for fantasy football stats, he had put together some online version where Excel came into play. But for me, it was just simply just scratching it out in a notebook. But yeah, I recommend uh, one league start with just trades and with draft picks and and just see, is it worth it? And if it, if it's something that really you see a benefit in, you'll want to put, dedicate more time to that. And if you don't find that it's really being that advantageous, you know, you, you can just move on and, and, and really not spend that much time with it. Gotcha. Yeah, I do mine on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, it's just easy for me to kind of break a tab for each owner. And then uh, fortunately with Google Drive, you can take those things anywhere with you now. So yep. that's kind of how I, I do it. Now, are you finding your, that you're just, now that you, I guess you said it's a little bit more streamlined, are you updating just when you see something new or is it you make, make it a point to go back, you know, whether it be monthly, every couple months, um, is there a time frame or just is it more just, hey, when you notice the, a change in somebody's behavior or something new? 
Yeah, as I started the original building blocks for a lot of my leagues, I, I notated a lot more things. It was because I really wasn't sure what was going to be noteworthy, what really wasn't going to be beneficial. So I would have a lot of things. I was tracking waiver additions, how much money was being spent. I was spending a lot of time really trying to to build a roadmap and a blueprint on these guys in my leagues. But now it's it's basically trade negotiations, it's draft picks, and it's anything noteworthy. I've got a comment section where if something really out of the blue or unique strikes i can go in and just put some comments i color code things so that i know what i'm looking for um, with a highlighter so if i have a particular owner that sells draft picks i'll highlight that a certain color so that as i'm going through that particular league that really stands out easy uh, visual management to make that just just quicker for me um so so that works the one thing um the one thing that i would say about all of this and, and I lost my train of thought for a second. So I'm going to let you ask the next question and try to remember what I was get the point I was going to try to make. Yeah, no problem at all. So when you are initiating those conversations with other owners, you're probably not the person who sends those cold offers, you know, just a, an email through my fantasy league with, hey, this is a one for one offer or anything like that. Do you usually initiate, you know, with maybe a message or an email, direct message on Twitter or some platform like that? What's been most successful for you? So... Again, it comes down to owners. I have one owner in a league. I'll give you some examples, right? I have one owner in a league that automatically sends me a low ball offer every time. And I've learned that if I give him the cold shoulder, that he'll come back. Whereas if I, whereas if I initiate, you know, come back right away and don't give him a cold shoulder and just a flat reject, like if I give him a reason or I try to explain myself or what I'd be looking for, that never ends well. Uh, because I, for some reason he sees that involvement as, uh, you know, that he's going to be able to to stick to his terms. But if I give him a cold shoulder and I walk away from that with just a flat no, he'll come back with a higher offer. Now, that doesn't always work, right? Some guys walk away and they don't ever come back. So it really comes down to a, to an individual owner. I think if I had to make a blanket statement, I like to start dialogue through an email. I like to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's, you know, these are the players that I'm looking to move. This is the player that I'm interested in. The one thing I try to be sure that I don't do is tell them the reasons why this works for them. They're their own managers. There's nothing I can stay. I stand. I hate more than having another owner tell me why this benefits my team. So I make sure that that's the one thing I don't do. I just say, basically, here's the guys I'm looking to move. Here's the guys I'm interested in. Is there anything that you see? I'm not a big fan of trade bait. Um, usually folks that use trade bait on MFL usually list a bunch of players nobody's interested in or that they're looking to, you know, swindle you out of somebody that can play for somebody that can't. Very rarely have I found that to be beneficial. Mostly it's just an email that I fire off to, to instigate dialogue. I like it. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think we've all had the, the, that type of owner who sends you the worst offer ever and uh, expects you to, to come back with something to him. Um, I know me personally, I prefer something that's – give me something that's reasonably in the ballpark and we can kind of work from there. Right. Uh, so I, I get it. Um, is there a common mistake you feel like veteran players are making, uh, whether it be not having a notebook or just in general? Uh, so before I answer that, I, I remembered what I wanted to say when we were kind of talking about um, just in general, like – as far as tracking a notebook, I, I want to say, and this is for anybody who's out there really thinking about getting involved in this and doing this, where things have transitioned, where things are really beneficial now, or where I really focus the majority of my time is on the social media platform, because 
I want to know what sites folks are going to. Now, we talked earlier about the amount of information that's out there on the web and, and where you can go and how much how many sites there are and, and people you can follow. I want to know who folks in my league are following, if I can. Now, if they have a pseudo account, that's just not going to work. But if I can pinpoint who they're listening to, like, you know how things work. Somebody puts out a podcast and they say all of a sudden, you know, Paris Campbell is the rookie to own and they go on this you know, 20 minute rant about how you got to get them on your team. If I know there's an owner in my league that listens to that podcast and it subscribes to that podcast, well, now I've got some ammunition for, for generating a deal if I own Paris Campbell. So uh, that's really where I try to pinpoint. And that's not always easy to do, but the way I can find things out generally is if I listen to a lot of podcasts. So if I'm out there listening and I hear a podcast pimp a particular player or really talk up a particular player and all of a sudden I start getting trade offers well now I know that that particular owner listens most likely listens to that and I'll notate that if somebody has a podcast and they say you got to sell you got to sell and all of a sudden my inbox fills up with you know three offers with somebody trying to sell that particular player again all right now there's a good chance that that player probably listens to that podcast or reads that article or follows you know goes to DLF or goes to you know Rotoviz or whoever might be putting out that article or that podcast so that gives me a little bit of better idea on where to isolate and pin down who their sources of, of reference are when they go to gain information. So that was long-winded, but let me just circle back now to your question about um, you know, some of the mistakes that folks make. And I think in general, the biggest mistake you can make is, is holding to an evaluation longer than you should. If you do an eval on a rookie or on a player and you believe in a particular player and you can see the winds are turning, I think sometimes folks believe in their abilities to eval or they believe in their data too much. And sometimes they miss trade windows or trade opportunities and they're just a little bit too stubborn with holding on a little bit too long and they miss that opportunity to go out and, and make a move when, when the window's really open. That's a really good point. I think we all, you know, operate in these silos. We're really only focused on our teams and we hold, you know, true to those evaluations we've had for so long. Um, what I love about the notebook and what your strategy is, is that you're not only like building your own roster, but you're scouting the whole league and you're competing, you know, against everybody with that. Um, I think it's really like smart way of doing it. It's what the NFL teams are doing. They know, you know, which general managers they can, you know, have certain conversations with versus others. But a lot of, you know, fantasy leagues just overlook that aspect of it. When you're looking at like the most successful players across your leagues, is there you know one common theme that you're seeing? I think I think successful players are just really flexible. Um, they're not locked into one thing. They're not film over metrics. They're not metrics over film. Um, they learn how to cut through a lot of the static and and listen to um, the relative information and process the relative data. And I think they play multiple formats. I think the guys that are the or the folks that are most successful, men and women, are the ones that play uh, multiple formats, the folks that can merge daily and dynasty and redraft and balance that because I think it gives a whole new set of eyes, a different perspective into players and when to move and when to buy and when to sell. And so I think that just rounds out their whole, just their whole knowledge base. So that, that's the one commonality that I see in general between some of the best players they play a lot of different formats of, of, of fantasy football, and they're also just very flexible in their strategy. Yeah, that's really true. I know last year and for the last couple of years, I've really followed Evan Silva's matchups column, which is more 
more typically for redraft and DFS, but I find it really valuable for Dynasty to know who's getting the snaps, um, learn more about, you know, formations that they're playing. And is a receiver playing in the slot? Is this running back getting usage in certain sets? That kind of stuff that can kind of inform my Dynasty opinion of a player too. Wrapping up here, we want to close with the same questions for all our guests, kind of rapid fire. Um, so we talked a little bit about how the industry changed over the year. It went from offline to online, um, you know, phone calls to emails. If we jump 10 years from now, what one change do you think might become the norm in the fantasy industry? I think what we're going to see is it's going to be gambling is going to be, you know, across the board legalized and it's going to be in every state. So I think that's really going to have a huge impact on how fantasy football is played. I think what we're going to see is instead of so much even daily leagues where you're picking an entire roster and you're putting that. Um, roster head-to-head against another team, I think you're going to be able to pick plays from your couch or from your phone where you're going to be able to go up against, you know, 200 other people where you pick, okay, this is going to be a pass. It's going to go 20 yards and it's going to be, you know, or there's going to be pass interference or it's going to be a handoff and it's going to be four yards. And you're going to be able to select certain options on a play-to-play basis and you'll be competing for money that way on a play, you know, play per against play basis so that it won't I think regular fantasy football and dynasty will still be there but I think this will be the next step beyond daily when it goes when it transitions to a play-by-play option that would be really interesting wow yeah Um, that's the first time I've heard something along those kind of lines which is your favorite draft format do you prefer you know draft style versus auction because I've seen auction take off a lot in recent years yeah, I, I like auction the best because I think it gives you the most control over how you build your roster, gives you the most flexibility, and, and it puts everything into your uh, ability to maneuver. Whereas, you know, when you're locked into a particular, you can trade, but if you can't find a trade partner, well, then you're locked into your p- particular position. But at least with an auction, you're able to decide how much are you going to spend, how little are you going to spend, just a lot more creativity. I like a mix of both, though. I mean, I think there's something about knowing that you have a particular slot in the draft and being able to plan out your draft. Uh, when I play in a snake draft, a lot of times in a startup, I don't make that many deals because I like to map out my draft ahead of time and, and have like, okay, at this particular pick, most likely based on ADP, I'm going to have these particular six players. At this pick, I'm going to have these six players. And I like to see if I'm able to, you know, build a team ahead of time you know, just on paper and see if I'm able to mirror that up as the draft actually works. But overall, if I had to pick one of the two, it would be auction. And we talked a bit about best ball before. If you had to play it sometimes, have all your leagues be that way always or never play it, what would be your choice? I think it would be, I, I like best ball leagues. I don't think I could do all best ball leagues and nothing else. And then I, I don't think I want to give it up completely. So I think having a decent mix of best ball leagues, I like to have, you know, five a year that I do between five, maybe even seven, 10 sometimes um, that I'll just do that are just, you know, draft and walk away and never have to worry about them again. No waivers. Those are, those are fun. You know, it's just the enjoyment of drafting. Um, but I, I could not go all best ball leagues. That would be tough for me to do. I, I tend to agree with that one is now you've got 25 years worth of experience. Is there a certain trade that sticks out as probably the one you wish you could have back? Yeah, it's a trade that I didn't make that sticks out in my mind. It still haunts me in my sleep. Uh, it was in uh, 2016. It involved rookie picks. I was extremely confident in Laquan Treadwell to my demise. And uh, 
unfortunately, so I had the top two picks in that draft in one league and I took Zeke and I took Treadwell. Uh, and I was very comfortable having Treadwell as my wide receiver. And somebody offered me uh, later in that day, actually Michael Thomas. And they had offered me Michael Thomas and a first round pick in 17 for Treadwell and a second and a third in 17. And I turned it down. And I'll tell you what, almost instantly I regretted turning it down. And every day that goes by, I regret it more and more for having turned it down. But that was one of those that when I talked about being stubborn, that was one of those that I was convinced Treadwell was going, the separation issues weren't going to be a factor, that he was going to be able to um, gain some dominance at the next level. And and I was happy with him at, at that position. And and I stuck with it and I stuck with it too long. And I got burned in multiple leagues by having him on my roster without moving him when the warning signs were clearly there, but I refused to see them. Yeah. My guy was Kevin white. Um, watched him a lot at West Virginia, bought in fully, kept thinking the injuries. Oh, it's just, you know, a leg injury. He'll be back. And those shares went to waste. What's your best tip for newer players to fantasy? Say you're just trying out fantasy for the first time. I think that you, you need to do, um, I think you need to be balanced. Like you talked about earlier, uh, playing um, daily and, and playing dynasty. You talked about Evan Silva and his matchup column. I think there's a lot of, so a couple things, right? So first, first you need to develop a good list of folks to follow because there's a lot of static out there. And how do you do that? It's trial and error. It's find somebody who's really steering you the right way, see who they follow, see who they listen to and build your list that way. But if you just try to listen to everybody, you'll just be chasing your tail constantly because for every article that comes out to buy a particular player, there's just as many articles to sell a particular player. So you got to really pick your sources. The other thing I would suggest is that you need to you need to learn how to handle matchups, schemes, um, wide receivers versus certain cornerbacks. And the way you learn how to do that is through daily fantasy sports and the articles that are related to daily uh, more so than anything else. It's it's a particular skill to build a dynasty roster, but, but if you can build a good dynasty roster and you still mismanage the day-to-day operations of setting a lineup, then it doesn't matter how good a team that you've put together, you're still going to lose a lot of head-to-head matchups. So you have to learn how to exploit certain weaknesses Sunday to Sunday. And the way to learn that skill is to play daily and, and marry that with Dynasty. Yeah, Matt Williamson talks a lot about, you know, you can have a Dynasty roster that looks great on paper, but Sunday morning when you come set that lineup, it can be hard, you know, so you're exactly right. Definitely focusing on the DFS and the you know, redraft folks during the year each week. I'd agree 100%. I think DFS makes you a better dynasty player. I think the biggest lesson I learned, I think, in this past season was your team, like you said, you may have the best team in a league and know you've got the best one, but you can't be lazy and just kind of sit on it. It cost me a championship in one league because I stopped really my, – my lineup was good. My bench was pretty solid. I just stopped doing waivers, stopped paying attention to it. Um, and I got burned in a championship game by a team filled nothing but waiver guys because the injuries caught up, and then, you know, I, I ran out of gas. So, so for me, it's always – my best tip is – don't sit on whatever your team is. Keep trying to improve it. 
Yeah, Dynasty is a unique blend of patience and activity, right? It's I always compare it to like turning around a big sailing ship. There's a lot of frenetic activity on deck with raising sails, lowering sails, but it takes forever to turn that vessel around. And that's kind of like what Dynasty is. You got to have a lot of patience um, to manage your team, but at the same time, you need to have a lot of activity and and you need to be focused on making moves. So it's it's kind of like an oxymoron. You're balancing patience with activity at the same time but you have to be able to handle both agree 100 and the last two questions move away from from fantasy just a little lighthearted. uh favorite beverage uh favorite beverage is uh probably iced coffee from dunkin donuts um that's probably my go-to if i had to pick an alcoholic beverage i'm um passionate about moscow mules um but generally go with dunkin donuts coffee whenever i iced coffee whenever i can got you cream and sugar extra sweet what are you going with there um just a little cream no sugar yeah they they put about a gallon of sugar in there so you got to ease off that one uh last one cake or pie uh, neither really. Um, I'm a diabetic. So I found that out a couple of years ago. So I try to avoid both, but if I'm going to splurge, um, then I'll definitely go the pie root over cake. As we wrap up here tonight, um, it's July. It's time for the Scott fish bowl. I know we're all, all three of us are really excited to participate this year. That's an awesome event held by Scott fish, um, and fantasycares.net, all the great work he does over there. Um, it's just an awesome way to bring the community together. I know Leo, you had some thoughts you wanted to share here. Yeah, I just want to, first of all, shout out to Scott, because I don't think there's a more giving, generous uh, person in social media, in our industry. Uh, you know, he's Scott and I have been friends for a long time, and, and he, you know, I think I'm older than he is. But still, as far as from a mentorship, you know, early on in my writing career, even though I don't write much anymore, early on, he had a lot of sage wisdom for me. And he used to run Fantasy Oasis back in the day. And, you know, so we had a lot of conversations back then. And he was always giving of his time, always giving of his knowledge, of his insight. And and I can't speak highly enough about him. And then as he's transitioned into Fantasy Cares and Scott Fishbowl, just the amount of time that it takes and the amount of passion that he has for this, just the amount of money that they've raised over the last few years is staggering. And, it, you know, just to watch the videos of them going out and, and purchasing the toys for the kids and and the joy that that brings to the kids face. I mean, it's just such a worthwhile cause. And then the great thing that it does for the community is that it, it kind of invigorates the entire community during the month of July uh, as far from a fantasy football perspective as, as we all start to get to interact with people we might not normally interact with. There's certain analysts that you don't know that all of a sudden become uh, routine, you know, chat partners and, and folks that you wouldn't normally associate with. And all of a sudden you're carrying on conversations and, and talking about ADP and, and drafts. And so all in all, it's just such a great experience. So just a huge shout out to him. And if any listeners are out there, certainly go to fantasycares.net. And if you're able to give anything, it's, it's such a worthwhile cause. I, again, I can't speak highly enough about Scott and, and everything he's put together. Yeah, I agree 100%. I was talking to my wife about it yesterday because uh, I was talking about the Scott Fishbowl. Um, I think they're at 25,000 raised so far this year, and I know we're just getting started. So um, it's quite awesome to see the community come together. One, as you guys mentioned, you get to know people, uh, you get to meet new people, and it's all for a fantastic cause. Yeah, and I love that you know the format of it is different every year. So nobody comes in with a true advantage, and kind of we all – 
um, can bring, you know, different parts of our knowledge to the game. Um, but having you know, points per first downs or points per carry, it's all, you know, it's always different. There's no, um, you know, true formula to the right path to take. So it's interesting to hear people strategize, um, analyze ADP. It becomes kind of like a knowledge brainstorm each year. Yeah, what's been interesting for me on this to wrap things up is we'd circle it all the way back to the notebook, right? And so for Fishbowl, the interesting thing for me is I've been able to, I went back and looked at the, you know, 11 other owners in my league and I went back to look and see how they drafted if they were in it last year. What did they do? So I tried to build kind of a little bit of a, not a full blown notebook, obviously, but just, was there anything that really stood out to me? Did somebody just start off right off the bat and go quarterback, quarterback? Did somebody really wait and, and pushed quarterback to the very last possible second? So I tried to take some notes on the guys that are in my, in my division and whether or not it's really going to hold any value, who knows, because it isn't a large sample size. It's just basically going back one or two years and taking a look. But still, I'm trying to apply the, the process that works for me in Dynasty, and I'm trying to apply it a little bit to Scott Fishbowl and see how that works out. And the other advice I can give if anybody out there is, you know, in it and they're listening you know, it's super, it's super crucial that we talked about being flexible and, and being able to adapt. I, I think every Scott Fish division gets its own identity separate from every other one. You can watch, you know, one may be a super slow draft. One may be rapid fire. Um, quarterbacks may come off the board in the first three rounds in one division, and maybe a quarterback isn't even picked in the first five rounds in another division. So you have to be able to read your division as quickly as possible. You can't look at other divisions and say, oh, this guy's available in the fifth round. That's my target. Because again, your division is going to be unique and you've got to be able to adapt. So you got to go in as much as I'm looking at some of the other owners and seeing what they did at the same time, I'm, I'm prepared to throw my strategy hundred percent right out the window. Well, this is awesome, Leo. We really want to thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, for a long time, you've been one of our favorite followers on Twitter. Um, and just really speaks to the, you know, the community that we have here in the, in the fantasy landscape for you to come on one of our, you know, very first episodes for the new podcast. Um, everybody please follow Leo at Siga underscore FF on Twitter. Um, check out his notebook series on DLF and his other work on DLF. We'll be tweeting some of that out from the show account. But again, thank you so much. This was awesome to, you know, get you on a strategy podcast because I feel like that's, you know, your landscape right there. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on and it was it was a lot of fun and I wish you guys the best. You know, it sounds like you guys have a really good plan for this podcast. So again, I'll certainly be out there trumpeting your guys' uh, podcasts and, and see if we can drum up, you know, a large following for you guys and just keep up the good work. And thanks again for joining us on the pod this week. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Strategy Hub Pod. You can find me at Drew Ferraro 88. You can find Dave over at D Sanders 877 on Twitter. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Game over.